Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join the five-day virtual intercession drawing marathon entitled Drawing on Your Past the Mind's Eye with Graham Nixon and Guests. It's held from Thursday, March 23rd to Monday, March 27th. It's rigorous and immersive. The Studio School's legendary marathons present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries in marathons propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors, and you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee, and you can head it over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light growth subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code Alfred Studio whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Nick Sowersby, known professionally as Sunbeam Sound Machine, is an Australian multi-instrumentalist musician. Sunbeam Sound Machine first garnered attention with the 2013 EP One in Sunbeam Sound Machine. In November 2014, his debut studio album Wanderer received widespread acclaim, leading to nationwide touring in Australia followed by a tour of the United States. In February 2019, he released Talking Distance, the lead single from the second studio album. In May 2019, Sunbeam Sound Machine released Goodness Gracious, and his most recent full-length, Possum, was released October of last year. Since his debut album, Wanderer, served to introduce the project back in 2014, he's amassed over 35 million Spotify streams. I spoke to Nick about growing up with music, touring, writing in the home studio, his influences, and much more. Here's our conversation. It's intense, you know? There's no manual. You just kind of like have at it, you know? And, uh, and so you're, you're based in Melbourne, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the, one of the top places I want to go to that I've never been. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I can recommend it. I'm biased. Because I, I have a couple pieces in the collection of the NGV. Oh, the really? National Gallery of Victoria. And I've never, I've never been. But I've had people oh, who, the old, di- yeah, the old director of where I teach of the uh, department was from uh, Australia and he had been there. And I've had people who've gone and seen my piece. I guess occasionally they're, you know, they hang it. So I, I'm just kind of dying to go there. And it just looks amazing. And yeah. One day. Yeah. One day. Make it now, ha- have you been to the New York? Yeah, yeah, uh, twice. Playing? We went there gigging. once to play in 2015. We went, we played um, CMJ. Nice. And, um, and I went end of 2019, just uh, my partner and I just went on, on holiday. Nice. Um, now, do you remember the venue back. of when you, where you played? We played at a few places, none of which, none of which come to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, CMJ is kind of a, I mean, I haven't, God, I haven't been to CMJ and it's been a while, but it's kind of like all over, you know, it's, it's pretty busy and 
yeah. it's cool you know lots of stuff to yeah. see it's kind of like an art fair you know it's like it's like you know bin shopping for for venues and, and gigs <laughs> and like yeah. squeezing it all in but yeah i mean most of the places we played were like i don't know if they're always venues they were pretty <laughs> makeshift pretty improvised <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, when I was in the band, I think we only played makeshift venues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were a few few places in bigger cities, but we did a lot of basements and house shows and stuff like that. Yeah. But those uh, can be great. There's something about that that, depending on the headspace you're in, is either quite stressful or just a really great stress reliever. You're like, whatever happens happens right it sort of takes the pressure off sometimes yeah yeah i mean it's it can be disarming you know yeah and you yep. can get some fervent people there which is great yeah sound quality might not be <laughs> yeah exactly. all you're after but hey you know <laughs> it's a live show right yeah exactly all right so well let's if, let's go back in time how did how did you start like how did music start in your life were you playing instruments as a kid was what was the music situation like at home was there a lot of music on growing up yeah yeah my I guess my parents I came from like a not a musical family but a music loving family um and my parents definitely encouraged my siblings and I to play music um you know we had I had piano lessons as a kid and then I guess when I was 11, I started taking guitar lessons, um, just mainly because my older brother did. So yeah. whatever he did, I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, sort of, I guess that's when it, it feels like, uh, whatever's happening now got sort of kickstarted. Yeah. Did you um, like piano? I didn't mind it. I sort of was, it was just like, uh, it was just like an activity to do, basically. Right. And I used to like sort of tinkering at the piano and making up little things. But I think it was when I started playing guitar that I thought, ah, oh, this is this is kind of my thing. Right. What kind of yeah. lessons were you taking? Was it just like basic chords or Yeah, classical? I started off. Um, I started off going to this guy who was very like technical, and it was reading music, um, and yeah, a lot about technique which was sort of probably in hindsight, probably a good way to, um, to start off and get the, the basics down. But then after a year, I started with a different teacher who was, it was just cause he was closer to home. My parents didn't want to keep driving you, yeah. all that way every week. <laughs> um, it. and he, he was, he was more like, what songs would you want to learn? And I can teach you whatever songs you want to know. And also we started, he started showing me how to write songs as well which was that was really cool yeah that's that sounds more fun <laughs> yeah and yeah this was like he kept on telling me about all these new bands that ended up going on to become huge like one week he'd be like oh have you heard of this there's this two-piece called the black keys that just put out an ep and then they'd become huge and then he'd be like who's that on the wall all these dudes with beards he'd be like oh it's this new band called kings of leon you should check them out. And like, but it was always when they'd put out like four songs. And then he eventually, he was friends with the band Jet. And oh, he yeah. went on tour yeah. to become their guitar tech and never came back. Well, yeah, they so, they were huge. Yeah, that was like right when they were blowing up. Yeah, it was like that 70s, you know, that kind of rock throwback sound. Yeah. I'm totally. sure those were fun tour gigs if you like went around with <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would have been wild. <laughs> so, and what were you listening to at this time? So you're starting to take lessons, but like what's on in the house or like what are you? Um, Like in the house was a lot of like, I guess, late 70s, early 80s stuff. Lots of like talking heads and um, what else? The specials. Blondie got a good run. Um. I remember Lou Reed Transformer being on a lot. Um, so your parents had pretty good taste. Yeah, they had good taste. I, I that was just kind of on for me at that time. Like I, right. I love that stuff now, but at the time it was just like that's mum and dad's music. Right. I was much more into the like nasal 
Californian punk stuff. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, like yeah. the rancid Blink-182 yeah, kind of Blink stuff, Yeah, Blink-182, right? Punkarama compilations. Sure. I mean, I've sort of listened to a bit of everything, I guess. Um, but, yeah, and just, and then I guess around that time, like, my older brother would, uh, again, I just wanted to do whatever he was doing, so he would listen to, like, The Strokes and Interpol when, and, like, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's when that, that scene was starting, so there was a bit of that in the mix. Yeah. It's funny, I feel like, you know, whether you make music about it later on or if you listen to it a ton, I feel like the music that you listen to when you're growing up kind of bakes into your soul a little bit, you know? Like, my dad listened to Motown. So it was like Marvin Gaye, you know, the Commodore, stuff like that. And I I don't listen to Marvin Gaye all the time. I mean, I spend a lot of time listening. But when I hear it, or like Al Green, it feels like, there's something that happens inside, you know, it's like you really relate. Maybe it's nostalgia or just something about just being a kid and, and associating that sound with that. But I would imagine like if you're hearing, you know, the specials and Blondie and stuff like that, when you hear that, it kind of is within you. Yeah, definitely. I, I really found that like after a long, after a long while listening to, um, Interpol's first album and I thought I thought that I probably wouldn't remember it all but it wasn't so much every song like I guess the best way to describe it I didn't just know what was about to happen like I could feel where the song was going like yeah. you described like right. uh, it's yeah it's deeper There's than just going map. oh here comes yeah. the chorus you just like it's like deja vu kind of thing yeah well when you're writing I mean I don't want to jump too far ahead but like when you're writing stuff you know, you're, I would imagine you're tapping into some of that old stuff that you heard as a kid, but then you might triangulate to some music that came out before that or, or after then, but before you were, you know, old enough to really dig into it. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like when you start writing music, you may have a sensibility to like the stuff you're writing and it comes out of just interests and what's innate and you know but then you when you start to link up with that aesthetic of the music you dig into bands that are like in that genre or in that wheelhouse and then you broaden the influence is that yeah kind of what happened as you started writing songs yeah i guess i've had an interesting thing where like yeah i'm into a certain band and then you i'm always always keen to look at who influenced them and maybe that's something new for me to discover and often I'll listen to whatever that influence is is and having never heard it before it feels very familiar right like I should have heard this before that feeling or, right? or I go man I wish I had a f- <laughs> wish I had found this at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's exciting though right when you mm. you dig back into that I remember um, the band I was in, I think we got a review. It was either in a Chicago Reader or Wire or something, and they were talking about, well, this the guitar player clearly is listening to Derudi Column, and they kept mm. they they mentioned that band as if like, wow, they're really influenced. I played guitar in that band. I had never heard Derudi Column in my life, you know. Yeah. So I was like, how am I ripping off this band <laughs> so hard? Yeah. So I went and listened to it, and I was like, oh, okay, I get where they're coming from, but I arrived at that from a totally different angle. You know what I mean? Like there must've been some sort of like parallel, but when I listen to your music, I'm triangulating a lot of that stuff that, you know, I could bring up some names of like, you know, I was listening to wander. I've been in the rabbit hole by the way. So it's, (laughs) you know, like I've, I've been doing the deep dive of not only listening during the day when I'm just like doing stuff around the house, but in the studio. And for me, when I'm painting, and I listen to music, it's a different experience. Like I, you know, it, it's it's like visceral or something. So anyways, I was listening to Wander and I was thinking of like, you know, when I was coming up, we were really into a lot of shoegazer bands, like My Bloody Valentine, Swerve Driver. And I thought of those bands or like Slow Dive, but then I was like, I don't even know if that's what this is tapping into or if this is even conscious of that stuff or if I'm just coming to it from a different angle. You know what I mean? That's funny. I uh, no, I, I love, 
I love um, My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive, and I've actually just probably last week just started listening to them again. Oh, really? For the first time in a Back long time. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like. Um, since my daughter was born, I just like have been going back to a lot of classics. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, my Bloody Valentine, that's one that I definitely listened to as a teenager and was, oh, yeah. was really big. But then Slow Dive was probably, I probably heard that just as I was starting Sunbeam and already starting to work on music a bit like that. Right that was very reverby and dreamy. Layered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like ethereal. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I could imagine like when I was listening to that, you know, when I was listening to Wanderer and thinking about, you know, when it's recorded, it has this sort of beautiful layered kind of like, there's, there's not a lot of space. It's all mm. filled with like layers and reverb, but it's all light. It's not, it doesn't feel like heavy, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just think about the live experience of that because I blame some of my hearing loss, partial hearing loss on a My Bloody Valentine concert because <laughs> it was so loud. It was the loudest show I've ever been to in my life. And yeah. I remember like walking out and my ears, I remember ringing for days after because I didn't wear earplugs back then. And yeah. uh, so on on the CD, it sounds so beautiful and like and soft in a way, even though it's like really layered and but live, it was just an audio assault, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so there was that dichotomy between beauty and dreaminess and then, you know, just overtaking you in a way. Mm. Now, I haven't seen you live, but I don't know what you, that experience is like. But how do you tap into that sort of like... But I, in the newer stuff, it seems a little more sparse. Like you're letting more air in the recordings and there's more open space, right? Yeah, yeah, trying to. I, I feel like with Wanderer and and the first couple of EPs, I sort of went fully down the rabbit hole of filling every space possible. Right. And I was really into that at the time. I thought, you know, I want, here's the song in the middle and there's this thing going on over there and there's this thing going on over there. And yeah, I I feel like once you, once you go that far... Um, down a certain path you sort of you do come to the end of it so right. that's made me more interested in what if i didn't triple track this guitar part what if it was just one sitting by itself yeah and you know have some space around it which uh i mean it's still pretty i still find myself layering things pretty heavily like there's a lot of bands i listen to that are so so sparse that I just like, I don't know how you can actually do that. I'd feel so vulnerable. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. Well, the other thing is like, well, in getting into like layering, what was like the first year and method that you started recording music? Like what were you using to record and what year was it? Um, not to test your would, memory. Sorry, that's rude of me because I can't remember like last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have dad brain. <laughs> I would say like 2005, six or seven. Okay. So, which is and do like you remember like what you were using to do it? So my mum got a new job that was with the Department of Education. Nice. And it meant, it meant that she got a work laptop bonus and my my brother showed me um there was this i think it was audacity maybe it was either that or one called crystal with a k that was like this free downloadable recording yeah. software and the computer had a, a microphone input and there was this little silver microphone that um came with my parents tv which they got as a wedding <laughs> present in 1984 wow so, um, it plugged into the, the this laptop, so I was like, I can record stuff now. But the first stuff I ever did was just it was either me and my brother or, or me and my friend Lockie, who is the drummer in Sunbeam now. It was just like uh, I'd never 
recorded audio over audio before. So it was just like unlistenable mush of like <laughs> not even instruments, just voices, just going la 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 la, like whatever, saying whatever, <laughs> just to be like, here's how you layer stuff over stuff. Right. Um, and then it became a way of, I would just use it to, I would just record like uh, maybe 30 second or a minute long. I came up with this chord progression or riff. I'm going to record that and then try and record something over the top of it. That was mainly what I did. Well, cause I, I sort of thought, you know, now it's a thing that to be a, a home recording person by yourself. Right. But back then I was very much like music is playing in bands and writing songs with other people. So yeah. what I do at home is just what I do for fun. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, you know, now in speaking of layering, there's the technology available makes it almost more difficult to be sparse. I would think because when I first started, when I, you know, I was at a band in high school and I remember we had to go pay a guy and record and he had like an eight track, you know, and it was, that was basically like layering was not easy and you kind of had to piece it together. So if you wanted the layer, you literally had to have more money because you needed more time to do that. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't really an option unless you were loaded. And um, But now I think with all the effects and everything that's available, the restraint it takes to be minimal, I think is has got to be a difficult urge to, uh, you know, to deny of just being sparse, you know? Yeah, I, I sort of, I do um, set myself certain limits. Um, I try and limit myself with how many tracks I use. Like if the song needs it, it needs it and that's fine. But some of the songs on Wanderer were like 50, 60 something tracks. Yeah. Um, which having spoken to other people since is, isn't that obscene, but it just felt like too much. Um, sometimes I like to um, limit myself like what if I was using a 24 track machine um, and try and stick to that so the second album goodness gracious m most of those songs stuck within that um, and I sort of like if I'm re recording guitar I try and limit myself to what's on my pedal board in terms yeah. of effects because it's it's not like a a moral choice it's just like I, d I don't want to spend all my time scrolling through effects and just tweaking them slightly and it just gets in the way i like to record quickly more than well i guess yeah well it, the thing is is like when that earth you know wanderer is just it's beautiful the layering of it is beautiful i mean it's it takes you oh, to another you. place in a way but then you know i came to your music fairly recently because possum was my introduction so uh, okay. uh, I'm a newbie. <laughs> so it was really cool to go back and hear that because on Possum, it's, it, there is more sparse elements and it has a more, there's something more direct about it. You know, you feel like you're in the room of the songwriter and they're telling you a story as opposed to like Wanderer feels more like walking to a forest and you're hearing the sounds of someone who's playing music or singing. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. um, Possum feels like, you know, you're in someone's mind in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair or not. I like that. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean I I just I really did want it to be more direct. Um Wanderer, I mean I still I really am am proud of it, but I guess in hindsight because I went so deep in it, it sounds kind of mushy in a way, so I wanted to try something that's a bit less right mushy. And I'm it's not like, even saying that as like a bad thing. It's just how it sounds. No, it's like um, like that's more bokeh or something and like you're impossible like in the more recent stuff it's like zooming or f like focusing in like crisping yeah. the focus a bit yeah exactly only have like what what really needs to be there right um it's funny because there's a lot of parallels like when you're talking about that early stuff and just layering voices and it's just like you know you know it, it reminds me of like the early stuff i'm making in the studio of painting it was just like I'm just throwing shit on it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like trying stuff out, adding stuff to the canvas, 
you yeah. know and it's almost like you just have to exercise the demons try everything out throw it all on the wall and see what sticks you know and then totally. you can step back from it and start to mold something that's a little more authoritative you know like you feel like you have control of it yeah i think yeah that that early stuff definitely and even up to wonder like i wasn't making it with a huge sense of purpose or statement or anything like that whereas by the time it gets to possum i guess not trying to make a statement but it's it's more like i know i'm about to make an album before i make it so it's it's got a bit more intent to it which i think makes you want to strip things back a little more yeah yeah it's like you could see you could see the value of the early stuff of like not knowing or not Mm. being as intentional yeah you know what i mean like i think of the first exhibit i had and i just it was just a bunch of paintings there wasn't even really a theme it was just like oh i like this image i'm gonna make that i like this and and now looking back i I kind of like always pine for being able to do that of just having a show where it's just like 12 images that are seemingly unrelated like Mm. explicitly and now when i do shows they're like about something you know there's there's a theme that pulls it all together and i can't seem to shake that anymore but it's like consciousness you know that oh i know what i'm doing i know who this is for i know where this is going to be and there's a beauty to that as well but it's just different you know yeah um yeah i mean i've i've found myself lately sort of trying to get back there right and just, you always try to get back to the place that you were always trying to get out of. Just chuck it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. <laughs> that's like life. You just, we're always trying to get back to being a kid in a way of like that yeah. exploring that you did when you were young where you didn't have a care in the world, but you can't ever really get back there. You know what I mean? I it's know. like unknowing is impossible in a way, but you still push into new territory. You're just a little more conscious of it, I guess. Yeah. And I think if you if you tried to force that mindset or that, yeah, that naivety, then that would just be its own kind of contrived right. thing. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be genuine anyway. It has yeah, it to doesn't be, work. You can only do what sort of feels genuine at the time, I suppose. Definitely. Well, you know, what's meta is you're going to see that happen with your kid. Like mm. you see them go through that, those changes and uh yeah. that's weird because it's <laughs> it's like you step outside of yourself and then you see it happening over again you know what I yeah mean? i'm gonna try and nurture that uh right childlike like thing for as long as you can right for sure and when they have crayons at a in like second grade or third grade save those ones because those are the matisses and you'll never get back you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean once they start figuring out what drawing is and they try to like make it look like something and they get yeah. irritated that it doesn't look like that's when the the balloon pops you know but before that it's beauty it's all yep. like it's gold <laughs> uh, that's that's something to look forward to for sure well, speaking of visual stuff, so I'm interested in the visual side of things because, you know, it's funny because Possum, I don't know how I found it, but it was definitely, I, you know, these days with like algorithms or some, or someone posted or shared, I, I have no idea. But yeah. I do know that that graphic, like the record cover popped. Like I, I was like, oh, that's that looks cool, you know. And it reminded mm. me of like the old days of being in New York and going to other music and this is pre like smartphones and going to the other music and like buying a record based on the cover because that's all you can really do. You're like, Oh, that looks cool. And then you read a little blurb and you're like, I'll buy that. It really popped out. But the difference between, you know, and listening to wander a lot recently too, those record covers and the album art, it's interesting. How do you, is it something that you think about afterwards? And then there's the videos, which are great. Like I've seen a ton of your videos, which are, you know, really cool. So how, what's the visual side for you? Is it, is it kind of a layer after the music happens and a response to that? Is it a separate lane? How do you think about the visual side of your, your music? Uh, it kind of varies. Like, um, Wanderer, I definitely, I made it. And then it was like, all right, I have an album now. It needs a cover. Right. So, um, I hit it. Well, how did you come to that though? It's got, I mean, I think of some covers when I look at it, but I'm yeah. curious as to what you were thinking about. Uh, well, it was done by 
Jason Galea, who does all the King Gizzard artwork. Um, and I th- think I just got in contact with him and said, could you do the cover? And that was something that he was sort of, uh, had already half done, I think. Okay. So it wasn't like, I don't think, I don't know if I gave him any direction at all, actually. I think it was just, he said, what do you think of this? And there might've been a couple of tweaks and that was it. And it's only been in hindsight that I've looked at it and thought about certain elements of the artwork and um, right. how they marry up to the music. What fits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like eight and a bit years later. So right. to me, it's like they're sort of inseparable. Um, whereas with the goodness gracious one, um, that, that's the, that, uh, the lighthouse. Like, yeah. Right. That's yeah. a photo that my dad took. Nice. Um, when when they were on holiday just before I was born I think and he sent me that and he just not for any reason he'd just been scanning some old photos and he sent that to me and I just was like that's that's the cover of the next album I hadn't I probably hadn't written half of it yet yeah but that in with that cover um that in, in a way dictated some of the music like I'd be working on a song and I could look at that photo and go, does this work? Right. Um, that vibe. And then, yeah, exactly. Um, and then Possum was sort of, I guess, I guess half, halfway between the two. I had a vague idea of what I wanted. And then um, the painting's actually by my partner. Um, and I was getting, getting her to help me with just layout. Uh, I knew I wanted something more sparse that was a white border with something in the middle and that was just we were sitting at her computer and that was like that little painting that she'd done was just sitting there so we thought well let's just chuck that in the middle for now yeah see what it looks like and put some text around it and that was like oh that's it yeah it has like a throwback feel the way the text just the way it works but it's kind of like that modernist abstract painting that really you know but it's punchy, and I feel like the music is a little more poppy or punchy, which yeah. kind of works with it. I don't know. I'm yeah. always trying to marry sound and music together, so I can't help it. Like when I yeah. when I look at people's paintings, like artist paintings, I often I don't know what it is, but I just think of like what does this sound like? You know, what's the music? And I start hearing music in relation to the the paintings. Yeah, cool. So it's kind of cool to flip it, you know, and and hear the music and then think about those visuals. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, um, you know, definitely have. I'm, I mainly have like a color palette in mind. I think when I'm working on music, but I don't know. Sometimes I, I, don't, I feel like I don't have like that great an imagination. And sometimes I think, is this color palette just the color of a Logic recording session? <laughs> Like that's just what I'm that's just what I'm looking at while I'm recording. <laughs> For hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Like, exactly. Seeing like, the world in that palette. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um Yeah, but sometimes it's it's something more definitive and I know I know why it, it looks the way it does, but yeah. Right. And I definitely think of some uh certain songs as like uh nighttime or daytime that kind of thing light or dark yeah yeah well in the the videos is it how much of a collaboration how much are you art directing or thinking about the idea is that something that you're working with other people because they're very for the most part i would well maybe i'm wrong but it seems like there's either the narrative of the sort of the conceptual idea of the plot that's happening in the video or it's you know a performance so it's about you know, either a sort of formal like breakdown of like the reflected image or just a live performance where, you know, so it's like one or the other. But I mean, how do you come to those? Um, so, I, yeah, the for the last two albums, I've collaborated with my friend Clancy Walker. He's a filmmaker. And yeah, we have a, I think we just have really similar ideas for for what we want. One of us will have maybe the 
the seed of the idea and as we expand on it we tend to just agree a lot yeah which is very handy um i th- i really um i really like michelle gondry's video clips um i read because, that that you were a fan yeah, of his he used to I, live um, a block away from me here in brooklyn oh really he used to live <laughs> literally on the house like right across not to give away uh, where i live but yeah, yeah he used to live there but then he sold the house but it was always cool to live a block away from michelle gondry and they filmed Absolutely. eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in a house down the street right ah. there and they leveled that house eventually but yeah okay. it was cool to be a, around that i mean his he's amazing right yeah i um yeah i lived in a um in a share house and i lived in a house with with my my sister and her best friend and her best friend had this michelle gondry collection dvd that i just put on one day and it was just a collection of oh, there was some other stuff but one of the discs was just a collection of all the music videos that he'd made and i just i watched that so much um and i i really like i f- i feel like you know he came to music as a director and i think a lot of people would just try and make a movie that plays while the video while the while the music plays too but i like that his um it really enhances not just the song in general but certain elements of the song like yeah. i i really like the there's that around the world one for daft, daft punk, punk where every group of dancers actually represents like a it's like watching a, a, a session file of the song. It's like an EQ meter. Like there's, yeah, yeah. There's, the, there's the kick drum, there's the snare, there's the little synth arpeggio or something like that. Um, right. I really, I really like that. Um, so I think, you know, there's the um, talking distance is one of the videos that we made that is a bit more explicit about that. Like I'm literally playing all the instruments. It's yeah. not just, I'm not just, you know, dancing to represent them, but, um, that could come, that could come later. But, um, yeah, that's, that's something I'm always trying to think about. Um, with the new, with the video clips for Possum, I guess we were trying to tell a continuous story throughout them all. We had a lot more backstory in our head about me being this like dejected guy who'd sort of been beaten down by the world and was... <laughs> persisting but it's just kind of me dancing and singing the songs but um yeah that was um i've lost track of what i'm even talking about well (laughs) those videos now i think are such a different phenomenon and i mean i i mean not to date myself but i remember like when mtv started and how videos it just meant it was so different you know Mm. and now they just can kind of happen and they they just show up in youtube or something you know what i mean it's like yeah it's sure. less of a a kind of like a release in a way yeah and uh so you can really play with that like you can release you know conceptually like a group of things it's like a narrative over the course of different songs which is kind of exciting that that, that would rarely ever happen i remember being in the mall and seeing thriller when it first came out and being like oh my god this is amazing you know just <laughs> yep. being blown away because it was and the thing that was so amazing about Thriller was it was long. It was like a movie. Mm, yeah. And there was never a video like that before Thriller. So, you know, but now it's kind of, you can do a whole record that's like, you know, a video basically. Yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think there's something about, realistically, it goes on YouTube. Maybe some people see it, maybe some people don't. So you kind of only want to, do it if you really want to do it like if you've got right. something that you want to do yeah um you know if if we were sitting around going oh well we have to make a video so what do we do then that's already you're already on the back foot um right. so clancy like i was i was sending him um i was sending him sort of rough rough drafts of songs from the album for quite a while. So he had ideas. We had this whole idea for like a Miami Vice style with a sports car and a suit, but it ended up being sort of this twisted Australiana version of that. Like <laughs> my friend's old 
hatchback car and out by the airport. <laughs> yeah, it, it had a little. I, I thought of Miami Vice when I, you know. Okay. It resonates a bit. I yeah. mean, I grew we up didn't on go, Miami Vice, so. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't want to go like in there. fully just that pastiche, right. but it was definitely an inspiration. Yeah, there were shades of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what about, so as far as like the music, I would imagine you're, uh, you and most musicians, you know, it, the way streaming is now on the stuff that's at your fingertips, you you have a probably a pretty diverse love of different kinds of music. Is there certain things that you're tapping into now or things that have been seminal? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what I'm listening to, I guess, through through the pandemic was lots of ambient music. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What's ambient for you? <laughs> I'm always curious because there's so there's different versions of ambient, you know. Yeah, definitely. There's some that's just like very washed out and smudged, and there's some that's quite delicate and yeah, precise. So I guess um, oh, so much stuff. Hiroshi Yoshimura is one. Sure. Um, yeah, YouTube is great for like Japanese ambient music, as it turns out. If you can uh, twist the, bend the algorithm to your will, right, it'll give you some good stuff. Um, Andrew Andrew Weatherall is like a the British DJ. There's a it's called a Massive Mellow Mix. That was a good one. That's sort of ambient with a beat, I guess. That's the stuff I've been getting into as well. Um, like ambient but house in a way yeah 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 um i'm not sure what else i started learning the saxophone as well so that that nice. led me to listen to more more jazz than usual there you go i grew up yeah. playing jacks saxophone that was my All instrument right. as a kid before i started playing guitar it's really hard <laughs> <laughs> i think i got lucky that i picked it i mean that was my first yeah. instrument so you know it became kind of like second nature and I could still, you know, and I played bass clarinet. So like those mm. reed instruments, it's funny. You always can sort of pick it up, you know, but it's yeah. a great instrument. And if you get to know it, you could play baritone soprano. Like you can, there's diversity to the sounds you can get with just one embouchure, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. So um, are you, are you doing straight up like hard bop? Or are you, what's, what kind of jazz stuff are you into? Oh, I'm pretty into like, I guess the astral jazz, Pharaoh Sanders, that kind of stuff. Sun Ra. That's, yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone deep on Sun Ra. That's um, well, it's a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of guys like that. They produced work over like five or six decades. For sure. So it's sort of it's hard to know where to jump in. <laughs> Space is the place. That's where you go. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. that movie? No. Oh my God! Do yourself a favor. Find okay. it online. I'm sure it's online. Space is a place is amazing. Yeah, excellent. But yeah, that that kind of stuff. I mean, I was a jazz DJ in college, so I got, I did the deep oh, dive, cool. on yep. on things, and I was really into like blue note stuff, you know. And there was a mm. there was a DJ at the station who played almost nothing but like you know Ornette Coleman and Sun Ra and just like you know all sorts of like out stuff. And uh, he used to prank call my show and just say, play Sun Ra. Like, he kept like, <laughs> demanding that I play the stuff that he was going to play right after me. And I didn't even put it yeah. together that it was that guy. <laughs> but eventually I went there. I went into the, the out stuff. But I was yeah. reading, did I not read that you were a fan of David Axelrod? Oh, yeah, I love David Axelrod. It's so good. The, yeah. uh, the what's the one record that I love? Um, Soul, wow, what is it called? It's the one with the mandala record cover. It's a really great album. Yeah. I mean, he has a lot of great stuff, but... Yeah. I really it's the like, one um, where uh, Lil Wayne basically sampled the entire song in one of his songs, <laughs> which is hilarious. But, but yeah, David Axelrod is really good. Yeah. I love, um, I love this stuff that is in name by the Electric Prunes, but is actually just David Axelrod. Oh, right. And there's... Um, so they were like, you know, this sort of, I think they were like the monkeys of psychedelic music. Like they were this kind of confected psychedelic band. And then they did that, um, I had too much to dream last night. And it's for like three minute 
psych pop songs yeah. and then for some reason they were you know it was in their contract to do more albums and they just replaced the electric prunes with david axelrod and the wrecking crew like and he just did two david axelrod albums that are all about you know lots of religious imagery and stuff like that yeah with like carol Kay on the bass and it's 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 really good um release of an oath i think is the one are you uh are you a fan of bob james i don't know bob james all right i'm gonna send you i i didn't know bob james until fairly recently i mean i had heard things that hip-hop producers and musicians have sampled of his but Mm. then i i sort of came around to it from that but it's just, it's so good. All right. Send it over. I'll send the link afterwards. Not to, I don't want to taint your music. Um, <laughs> Song of Innocence is the, the record. Yeah. The yep. David Axelrod one. That's just crazy. But it's funny because yeah. Wanderer, when I looked at that record cover, as I was listening to it, I was thinking of like that Yes record cover for Fragile. And then also like the Herbie Hancock 70s, like Thrust and those out there like fusion record covers like return forever and stuff Ah, definitely i I don't know if i know this made me uh think of some of that stuff but i mean i think a lot of the the psych sort of like you know nature future nature bucolic landscape stuff that's like outer space slash you know um kind of utopic that that stuff was born out of really like fusion, like jazz stuff, you know. Mm. I think it all, a lot of that stuff comes out of, you know, explorations in, in jazz because that was really experimental before, you know, rock, experimental rock stuff was happening. Yeah, I think a bit about that. I think um, jazz musicians don't get enough credit for, like, they were so far out there, like, 20 plus years before rock was even thinking about it yeah <laughs> it feels like for sure yeah well i mean being american and know it like you know black like the uh, black music in america like the african-american um experience of music and culture was just avant-garde i mean it was before any like blues all, all that stuff just pioneering and everything that came after it was just borrowing from that stuff you know what i mean it was just taking it and and expanding it even nigerian music like if you look at like fella kuti or something that was like inspired by james brown like it was like africans came through the caribbean went into america made this amazing music and then it went back to africa and influenced that stuff which is you know that feedback cycle is really interesting you know yeah yeah i've been listening to a bit of fella kuti lately and yeah it's it is pretty pretty amazing that that full cycle of the music coming back and then being being twisted again yeah you know being sculpted and expressed in that new way definitely yeah it's like it it's it's so fun to sort of tap into these different world music like i remember the first time i heard zakir hussein and those like tablas like that percussive stuff that just goes for like an hour and being mm. like, this is like amazing. And you can hear that in other kinds of music. But yeah, it's just, there's so much good stuff to, yep. <laughs> to dig it's into. too much. <laughs> Sorry, I can nerd out forever. Um, <laughs> so so as far as like, I mean, you just released, well, considering, and uh, this isn't judgy, <laughs> but you do take a little bit of time in between your albums. It's not like you're popping out one a year. So, yeah. you know, Possum is, is relatively recent. Um did you, and, and then you just had your daughter. So have you been touring? Because I mean, COVID kind of screwed musicians royally as far as like getting out there and playing music and stuff. How did it affect you as far as like getting out there? And then what's your schedule? Like, what have you been doing since that release? Are you playing a lot of shows or, and what are you working really. on now? I mean, besides we, dadding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the main thing at the it's moment. Full-time gig. It is. Um, but we really don't tour a lot, um, like especially outside of Australia. Um, so I guess we did come to America for CMJ 
we played a show in LA and a few in New York and then it was, you know, it had been five years and I was sort of gearing up to really try and do that again. And then, then, uh, the pandemic happens, um, yeah, shut down. and then, and then I became a dad. So still definitely like trying to figure out how to make it happen financially and just being away or do we, do we come over with the family? That sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I've done it in a way that's sort of not recommended, which is just put an album out and then went into full-time dad mode and haven't been playing any shows, <laughs> but, um, that's all right. You just got to do it your way, I guess. Um, but we're, we're starting to book some now just around Melbourne. Um, but the main, main focus is, is the next album. I think yeah. that's, that's always, that's always the main thing I'm thinking about. Like, uh, um, it's probably halfway finished, but nice. Um, Do you have like a sense of when you would release that, or is it the kind of thing where you're just in that writing process and you let it germinate and it takes the time it takes? It's usually it's that's usually I always try and force it at the start because I want it to come out straight away, right? And then I end up just having to do that anyway, um, like. Yeah, it, things never go well when I force them. So <laughs> right. I've learned by now, this is album four that I'm working on. I've learned by now to just try and chill out a bit. Um, but I, having said that, I'd like to have it done pretty soon. Half, half because this is the most, um, it's the clearest picture I've had of an album before it's been finished before. Like I have a very specific vision for this album. So I want to capture that while I've got it, um, and I'd like I'd like it to come out realistically. I think it'd be it'd be next year sometime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get that desire to lock it in while you have that firm feeling of it, right? Because then you yeah. just drift. Exactly. <laughs> you don't want to risk. enter a new body of work while you didn't wrap up the last exactly. body of work. And that's, there's there's a risk at the moment of that happening. <laughs> So I've got to lock it in, like just go go into tunnel vision or something. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's that's the focus at the moment. I think I I do want to get to touring, but the focus is always the next the next album. Yeah. That's, um, it's it's dawned on me lately that um, like my dad is a painter, and um, I did not know that. My that's cool. my partner is a painter. Oh my God! I've you're surrounded. surrounded by, and, Jesus. and that's then the way I like to work on music is like a painter. Like I like to go into my studio and just chip away at things, and every now and yeah. then send them out into the world. Right, right. That's so a the, good way. the the touring side of things, um, that's like I love I love playing when we do it, but it doesn't call me to do it like right. recording yeah. does. Like when yeah. it's when it's happening, I absolutely love it, but. I mean, you know, it took me a long time to miss it, even even when lockdowns were happening here. Right. And and then I really missed it. But um, yeah, that's that's how I th I I don't I wouldn't ever transition to like being recording full time. I I love right. I love playing now, having had a break a lot more than I used to. Like I yeah, yeah. I've I've really got a good relationship with it now. I think, but um. Yeah, I, th I, th I really just think of trying to build a body of work. Yeah. Which well, it's different. It, it's different when you're, when you can't do it because then you're like, yeah. oh, I want to connect with people in that way. But exactly. if you're being forced to tour, because I know with musicians, friends of mine who are musicians, it's like, that's the way they make money because it's so hard. To, you know, it's really difficult with like the way digital streaming is now it's like when you tour you can make some money and you can get the word out or whatever but you know the desire to do that can be you know it's 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 i mean i barely did it and i you know just drove across the u.s didn't even do any tours anywhere else but it's exhausting i mean and mm. that was pre-family that was pre like adult life basically that was in a van you know sleeping on couches there's yeah. no way i could do that anymore yeah. so you know i can't that's that's not that desirable at a certain state you know where you're like yeah i don't you know 
I like playing in front of people, but the touring thing can be exhausting. And then that's time that you could be, you know, with the family and writing new stuff too. So yeah, exactly. Um, it's a necessary and evil, I like guess. the, the most interest in Sunbeam comes from the States. So I really want to get over there and, and have that connection, but that's like, that's so much, so much money as well is yeah it's, is it's unfortunately not cheap and easy <laughs> comes right? into it and it's getting yeah. more expensive so yeah it's um and i i guess i'm lucky that the the main income i have for music does come from from streaming yeah so i'm not that was one thing that i was lucky with, with the pandemic is that oh, i didn't um you know i didn't lose out on a lot of touring money or anything right. like that yeah um because we weren't touring much to begin with but yeah it's um uh, yeah i do want to get out there and do it more though but then obviously dad life <laughs> <laughs> dad life yeah <laughs> it happens <laughs> yeah i mean we're um, talking about how how maybe maybe we all shift over to the states for a couple of months or something like that and well selfishly happen, but come to new york yeah oh well selfishly i want to go to new york <laughs> Let's let's time it for when I have an opening and then you can play the opening in the gallery. Perfect. That'd be kind I of like fun. It. <laughs> <laughs> All proceeds. Yeah. We'll go to the plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. First time I ever flew outside of Australia was to Europe and that was like a 24-hour trip in total. Oh my god. And that's just kind of like that's like a rite of passage that a lot of people do is like you finish school and you take the gap here and go to Europe and it's like 24 hours on the plane is just sort of right just part of it you just that trip you're losing a couple of days of your life there yeah but I guess you can yeah. watch a lot of movies on a plane so you're fine exactly Catch up on all the latest releases yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah touring I get you know I never like with all that equipment and stuff it can't be easy I guess you just yeah. borrow some. I don't know what you do, but yeah, yeah, it's a that's a, that's its own kind of stress. Is trying to borrow stuff and yeah, and we're you know like I'm, I book and manage the band myself at this stage, and I'm like such a bad logistics <laughs> person. I'm such a, I'm I'm so bad at organizing stuff. So yeah, I've I've put some roadblocks in my own way, I guess, but that's uh, well that's how it um, is i'm excited for when you do make it out to new york and yeah. i like i it said i've been i've been binging but no i've been you know going down the rabbit hole it's really great and the diversity I, i'm excited to hear what the new stuff sounds like too so but um a big fan and and it was great to meet you and talk about your stuff and uh thanks for taking the time out oh thanks for having me appreciate it it's been fun
Thank you.